everyone, and welcome back to the Pine Reads Podcast. I'm Sadie. And I'm Adriana. And today, we are going to be talking about new YA classics. So when you think of the classics, you think of stuff like The Great Gatsby, Catcher in the Rye, all that old boring stuff. But today, we're going to be talking about redefining the classics. We no longer need to read Shakespeare to have an understanding of what good literature is. That's right. And today we're going to be talking about three of our favorite new modern YA classics. Okay, so everybody, we have our first guest on the podcast today. Her name is Frances Dry. Yeah, I'm Frances. Um, I am a junior at the University of Arizona majoring in English and classics. Um, I'm also an intern at Pine Reads, but I don't do the podcast. I uh, write reviews and edit. Well, we are super excited to have you on with us today. Uh, This whole episode is about new YA classics, so modern YA books that are kicking stuff like The Great Gatsby softly to the curb. (laughs) <laughs> don't want to don't want to disrespect the OGs, but got some new content coming in. And uh, with you, we are going to be talking about Percy Jackson and the Olympian yes. series by Rick Riordan. Uh, I'm so excited. I mean, okay, so classics major, so obviously I care about Greek mythology, but Percy Jackson, I feel like for me, is such a huge part of my childhood. And such a huge, even now, like, influence into my life. (laughs) So Percy Jackson, for me, firstly, was a movie experience. And I know everybody says the movies were not good compared to the books. Yeah. However, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the movies. (laughs) I feel like I'm one of the few Percy Jackson fans who the first movie, at least, I was like, yeah, this is dope. I love this. Oh, and good. then the second one came out, and I was like, what did they do? Like, what happened here? It, <laughs> I mean, the first one definitely strays from the books, but just being able to see at least this world that I pictured in my head on the screen was cool. And then the second one, they, like, just totally destroyed <laughs> the <laughs> plot line. They did not, yeah, it was just not good. It's always such a shame when that happens. Yeah. I just feel like it's not that hard to follow the source material. I don't understand it. Francis, we have a whole episode on the podcast about bad adaptations. <laughs> and let me tell you, we don't get it either. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So for you, what makes the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series like a YA, like a new modern YA classic? Well, I think first off, the fact that, like, so many people have read it. And if you haven't read it, you know what it's about, you know? Like, you say Percy Jackson, and people are automatically like, oh, yeah, Percy Jackson, I know him. Like, son of Poseidon, Camp Half-Blood, you know? Like, even if you, if you like books, at least, you've heard of it and know a little bit about it, or you've read it and you're obsessed with it. Like, I don't know anybody, I haven't met anybody that doesn't like it which to me just shows how good of a series it is and when you talk about like 
act like literary classics. And people obviously have strong opinions about it, but people have heard it at least. You know, like one of my favorite books is Pride and Prejudice. And somebody always has an opinion on Pride and Prejudice. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. And I feel like Lucy Jackson is kind of the same way. That's a really great way to put it because I I am one of those people where I have not read Percy Jackson. I've not read the series. Um, nothing against it. I just at like when it came out and when I was younger, it just like wasn't the type of books that I read and I just never ha- have never had the chance to read it. Um, I think I like peripheral viewed the movie like my nephews were super into the movie and I would babysit them a lot in high school so like it would Mm -hmm. be on and I'd be in the room but I like wasn't paying attention but like my knowledge of Percy Jackson is limited but I have knowledge of it like like you said I know the son of Poseidon I know Annabeth I know that's a character and that she's Mm -hmm. super awesome yeah it's yeah it's one it's just like I look forward I have a little sister and she's not at the point where she's able to read it yet, but I'm so excited about when she's able to read it. And I have older sisters and once they got into high school and were reading those classics, I was so excited for them to read those. So I feel like it's kind of similar. Yeah, I I don't have any younger siblings, so I can't experience the joy of watching them read the books that I loved, but I'm excited for you to experience that because... I know the joy of just getting Sadie to read something I recommend. <laughs> like she doesn't read fantasy usually. So <laughs> I have to it's like pull like teeth to get her to read anything. Yeah. Yeah. My my siblings don't read fantasy either. And my mom reads, but she just reads mystery. And anytime I find out that somebody likes fantasy books, I'm like, okay, here's your top five that you have to go by and you have to read them right away. <laughs> yes. yes, I totally so. get it. Mm -hmm. So, like, my younger cousins are not big readers, um, but I know one of them, one of the books that my, one of my younger boy cousins has read was the Percy Jackson book, and he, like, loved it, and he's, hates reading, like, his, my, his, his mom, my cousin is always bugging me, like, Sadie, get my kids to be readers, like, I want (laughs) them to be like you, I want them to read like you. And so I ask her, like, okay, well, what kind of books do they like? And she tells me, like, oh, well, he read the Percy Jack, like the first Percy Jackson book, mm-hmm. and he really liked it. So it's, yeah, I don't know. I just I think that they're great books, especially for younger readers to kind yeah. of like get them into reading. Honestly, well, fun for all ages. Like, it is. It is fun for all ages, and it's such a good one because first off, it applies to boys and girls. Like mm-hmm. you know, anyone can read it. And it's so fast-paced while still being, like, interesting and having a lot of backstory. And it's Greek mythology, which I personally like. But you you don't have to know anything about Greek mythology to be able to just jump right in and read it. And I read it, and then I was obsessed with Greek mythology. My mom was, like, renting Greek mythology books for me from the library because I was so obsessed with it. Like, I think it's, it's just a really good, good way to jump into that topic. And like my freshman year, I had to take a class on Greek mythology and half the kids there, this is a gen ed, just were there because they read Percy Jackson and wanted to take a Greek mythology class, which I thought was really funny. I also took a Greek mythology class and I know how intricate and like 
how detailed like each story and each myth is and how confusing it can be and Percy Jackson does a great job of being very simple about it and very understandable and I really like you brought it up that um, Annabeth is and all the other females are just as capable if not more so than the males in like the action scenes the battle scenes practicing mm-hmm. I know like Annabeth like with a sword and everything like the first book they go into it and Annabeth's like way better than Percy at all of the sword yes. fighting stuff and you're like oh this is a girl like I mean for me I was like this girl is amazing like, right she's, she's cool and she's smart like she's really smart and she's also really good at fighting but you don't get to see that often normally it's like they have to teach the girl to fight but she was teaching him and like yeah. for me I thought that was so cool that's probably one of the best parts I think about this book is that like it's so gender inclusive without mm-hmm. being like in your face about it because mm-hmm. it's also like very justified with like who her godly parent is and so it's not like I don't know it's not gratuitous in like a shoving a female warrior in your face it's like very much go with the flow and it's awesome <laughs> yeah She's like, well, I've been here for 12 years. Mom's Athena. So yeah, I can fight. Like, I know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's a fact. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Yep. He's like, okay, I got that. (laughs) That's good to know. I'll take you on all my quests now. I love that a lot. I love that, like, I know, I think even without having read it, but just like knowing that there's this fierce female like kind of up front is so important for readers to see and and I just feel like that's something that you don't really see in a lot of classics so I just think that's so important to have in like these new modern classics and I think it sounds like Percy Jackson does that really well yeah he definitely does and you don't really think about it especially like as a kid I I wasn't thinking like, wow, this is great representation for women. I was just like, yeah, this girl's cool. I wish I was like her, you know? Right. I think also like in the second book, the rival kind of group, like the leader of that rival group is also a woman. Yeah. I mean, they have Luke, but there's like other ones that kind of help them. Right. Um, But the villains too in the book are so good. Like it's one of those villains that you're kind of like, I feel like I understand where you're coming from. Like for Luke, his whole thing is, I want to get revenge on the Olympians because my dad abandoned me. And for most of the demigods, they had the same thing happen to them. So even Percy is like, I get where he's coming from, but you can't destroy the world. You know what I mean? (laughs) But Luke's one of those villains that you're like, I don't like you because you're the bad guy and you hurt the characters I care about. But I kind of understand where you're coming from, you know? So that's a cool part of it too. But yeah, he even has a lot of really strong females and I mean even though the Greek mythology has a lot of not strong women in it there are like Athena who's like just really powerful and really uh, capable of taking care of herself Mm -hmm. I think like a big part of Rick Riordan's success because he's a very successful man to the point where his whole Rick Riordan presents and like other authors writing under like under Rick Riordan presents and like in the world is just like 
how wide the reach is for Percy Jackson. Like, mm-hmm. I know people middle school, elementary school are reading it, but also like very, a lot of adults are reading it and still love it. Like the movies made it very popular too. Like he's just very successful in Percy Jackson, but also like that success has built to like everybody, like everybody loves it. Everybody writes for him just like so much yeah well I think first off he was really great representation like Mm -hmm. his books have you know females have people of all different cultures and races and they also because he does a lot of mythology he's able to put books out there that are from all over the world you know and Mm -hmm. from like backgrounds that are totally different which is just a really cool thing that I don't think we get enough of but the mythology thing is such a cool way to get that out there. Especially, like, everybody likes superheroes. Obviously, I think Marvel's proven that. And mythology is kind of like superheroes from a specific <laughs> superheroes, but also not like they're gods, but they're kind of just superheroes. You know what yes. I mean? So I think that's cool. I think the Rick Royorden presents is, like, so unique. Like, I've never seen anything like it like elsewhere kind of in the kid lit YA industry and I think that's really kind of helped catapult Rick Riordan to like this powerhouse household name like even if you've never read anything by Rick Riordan or never read anything from the Rick Riordan presents like you know who Rick Riordan is yeah yeah I think you're definitely right about that um he's just he's especially if you like books He's kind of a household name at this point. And especially with all of the uh, adaptations they're doing now. Like, I know he's coming out with another Percy Jackson adaptation, which, fingers crossed, that one's good. Um, and they're also coming out with a Kane Chronicles one, which is his Egyptian mythology series. Um, he's going to be even more popular. <laughs> wow. Those I didn't know about If they're that successful. One. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think their main focus is Percy Jackson right now, but I know that one's in the works too that's awesome yeah that one should be good <laughs> I know I'm really excited about the Percy Jackson one because I heard that Rick Riordan himself is going to be working on the manuscript so yeah I'm really excited <laughs> yeah I follow this account on Instagram that just like basically posts updates that he sends out about the show and I think he's really involved um, awesome. he seems really involved like with writing the script and picking all the directors and all the actors so fingers crossed that it's good it seems like as of right now it should be pretty faithful to the series that's awesome Sadie can finally get into it <laughs> yeah no I think that's that's really special that he's like has such an involved role in the development of the tv series I think it just goes to show like just how important Percy Jackson and the Olympians has been not only to just like the culture of YA literature but just like pop culture in general like it's so important that it's the series is done and it's done right because it's going to need to like just continue to keep the name alive and continue to get like readers of all ages into Percy Jackson yeah well I mean obviously it's it's his book so he cares about it being a good series but I think he also recognizes just like how important it is to his readers you know and like 
how much we love Percy Jackson. And so I think it's important to him that they make sure that they get it right on the screen for all of his, you know, faithful fans and for all the new fans out there that will be able to fall in love with the series by seeing it on TV. Yes. Yes. He understands how important it is for his fans to get a really good experience from watching this new series. Yeah. To wrap it up, Francis, what do you think makes Percy Jackson like spark in your mind as a classic? Oh, well, first off, the plot is superb. Um, the characters are just so authentic and flawed, but also like they have such the good characters have such a good moral code that you can kind of look up to as a young reader. Um, the Greek mythology setting, I think it definitely adds to that. I mean, the fact that that's classics. Right. Um, and the Greek mythology has, has such a strong background. So I think when you combine all of those, it's no wonder that the series is so popular and it's become such a foundation for why literature as a whole. Um, and I think it sparked a lot of new fans. It got a lot of more people into to YA. It got me into YA, specifically YA fantasy. So I think that's why, in my mind, it's like one of the number one YA books. Well, thank you for your insight. Thank so, you. Thank you for having me. So glad I could talk about this series that I love. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think I might go pick up a copy of Percy Jackson and the Olympians after this. Do it. You will not regret it. It's <laughs> so good. I agree, Sadie. You should definitely do it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, like I said, I gotta res- you gotta respect the classics. And you what better way the classics. <laughs> and what better way to do yeah. that than to read them? <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure that. Definitely. I will always support picking up a copy of Percy Jackson and adding that to your show. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Francis. We enjoyed getting to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's fun. And up next to talk with us about The Fall in Our Stars by John Green is a guest that we have actually had on the podcast before. So let's welcome back fellow PRR intern, Kayla. Hi, I'm here to talk about The Fault in Our Stars and John Green and its impact on like modern YA literature in general. I'm sure everybody remembers the like 2014 Tumblr era where like everything was just John Green and now it's all Hank Green. So I think that's an evolution, honestly. Yes, it's. (laughs) The 2014 John Green Tumblr era was like truly an iconic period of time for the internet. It was, and I honestly still live in it, you know? (laughs) Oh man, I would love to be back in that time. (laughs) I think a lot of the internet is still living like they're there. So, The Fault in Our Stars. Man, I've talked a lot about this book on this podcast. (laughs) We've all cried to it. We've all loved it. Yeah. So when um, you guys first came 
to the rest of the interns with the idea for this podcast. I thought it was really interesting. I know there's a few different books that are getting talked about on this episode. And my immediate thought was The Fault in Our Stars. Like, because The Fault in Our Stars came out right around the time I sort of picked up reading by myself. Like when I was a kid, my parents read me stories and I grew up with nerdy things like Star Wars and Star Trek. But The Fault in Our Stars, like this era of YA, like explosion of literature was when I first really picked up reading as an individual reader, separate from whatever my parents had read me or whatever we were reading in class. And I did really start with like The Hunger Games and like John Green's books. And after I read The Fault in Our Stars, I actually went through and read every book he's ever written including um I can't remember the name of the book it's like Catherine 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 abundance of Catherine an abundance of Catherine's yes and looking back I'm like wow I devoured like all of his books in like six months it was a lot but I love the fault in our stars specifically um I did think the movie adaptation was really good actually I loved it it was fairly faithful to the book and it definitely like pushed forward the book to movie YA adaptations and I think it brought John Green into like more of the common lexicon of just like his books I know they were really popular before the movies for that and Paper Towns came out but they definitely contributed um and I don't know if you guys have particular moments in the book that you loved but I the the eulogy reading scene is just so funny but also so heartbreaking like the concept of being a teenager and knowing you're going to die like there's nothing you can do about it so in the face of that you take your two friends and you have just a funeral for them before you die I just I love it I agree. Just like the concept of it is, I don't want to call it like funny, but it's just, it's like, I know it is funny, but in like a gut wrenching way, like that's such an awful thing to have to go through at such a young age, but it's just, it felt so profound at the time. And I feel like that is a lot of what makes John Green a good writer like that's what characterizes his writing um a lot of it is like very not so much academic but just like very I think I guess you could say like highbrow for YA literature like he writes really sophisticated stuff for YA literature and with The Fault in Our Stars specifically I there's just so much emotion that he conveys in like three or four hundred pages I feel like he was maybe a part of the reason why people not all people but I feel like YA has become more of a serious market for publishers and for media and I think John Green's writing style and just the way he sort of weaves together a story is a big part of why that has sort of happened in the last almost 10 years wow yeah um because he at least personally like 
a lot of the YA books I had read before this era of like Hunger Games and John Green books in around 2014 to 2016, I feel like it was pretty like formulaic. A lot of larger like publishing and media didn't take YA very seriously. And I feel like John Green, like he respects his audience. He knows they're teenagers and he knows that they're capable of feeling complex emotions. And I feel like he really puts that into his story, especially his romances. Like they're done just so well. And that's really just what hits you in the book is just the romance that you see develop between these two people who have no idea when they're going to die, but know that they won't live to be old. Which and... is such like a messed up concept to put into a book meant for like young adults just coming to their own. Like mm, these people are going to die. Like they're going to die, but we're just waiting on the edge of our seats until they do like what the heck I know and I feel like there's something about that too that just like fits being like in high school being that age and I think maybe that's why like dystopian books like other books hit so hard when you're that age and you're reading them in the same age range of those characters but there's something so like temporary and about being a teenager that feels like life and death and I feel like he always just hits that so hard in his writing and with the fault in our stars specifically it just like he hits it so well with the humor and the even just the basic concept like you said of like oh they're like 16 and they're gonna die soon and it's like what do you do in the middle of that because I mean you can kind of do anything when you're 16 you feel invincible but when you know you're not where are you left right yeah um when it comes to John Green books I was the same way like I read The Fault in Our Stars and I after I finished it I was like I must read every other John Green book known to man like on this planet like if he wrote it I will read it and that's what I did um and I don't know it seems to be kind of like a common theme for a lot of readers our age um before John Green I was a bookworm I read a lot of books but I feel like John Green really and The Fault in Our Stars specifically really was my gateway to reading like I I don't think I would be the reader I am today or have this like connection to reading and books that I do now if I did not read The Fault in Our Stars when I read it. For sure. Um, Yeah. And I don't, maybe it's what I sort of mentioned about like the way he does take care with crafting these stories for these teenage characters and audiences. Maybe it's something completely different, but like you were saying, I, I just feel like up until I read John Green's books, especially the fault in their stars something about the inevitability of them dying um and seeing everything through the point of view of a 16 year old who knows she's gonna die it's freeing because he can do whatever he wants with the narrative and I think readers young readers can sort of live vicariously through that just the like knowing that you can do whatever you want when you're 16 
because I feel like most 16 year olds probably can't do that so being able to do that the way he writes it is just so heart-wrenching and so real but also just like so fun for the fact that they are going to die of cancer eventually I mean it's also inspiring too I mean you were talking about being 16 and being able to do whatever you want and I know it's like a uh it was like a trend a theme to be like oh you know the 16 year old is the person who single-handedly saves the world and it's like that kind of genre in YA that really is inspiring and what makes young readers want to read more and so I think that like you know in The Fault in Our Stars how they you know go to Amsterdam do the whole thing at their age like that was very inspiring like oh my god I can do that like oh I want to travel oh like I want to do all these things before I die whether it be from cancer or anything else you know I also do have to say though just the way um I was sort of thinking about it the the character of the writer I think it's Peter Van Houten yes like the concept of meeting the concept of a writer writing these like teenage characters who are meeting their favorite writer and he just turns out to be a complete terrible person (laughs) like I love that because I don't know if it's based in any reality but with him as a character and their interactions with him I like that it's sort of just the more real side of it of the fact that you're going to have these conceptions of what life should look like or other people when you are a teenager and you're living in the very you know structured life of high school and as you get older like those things are not going to either live up to be the idea you create or it's going to be completely different when you become an adult and here are these teenagers who are probably never going to live to see adulthood or if they do it's going to be with the structure of them being sick so they're never going to be able to live normally and then they go and they meet this author on this big crazy almost whirlwind trip and he's just a complete um yeah terrible person and I honestly loved that it's so funny the movie did such a good job just like portraying how much of a true terrible person he is I think one of my favorite aspects of this book and what pushes it into like classic territory for me is like what it's been able to do for readers and kind of the message that it sends like I feel like at its core yes the fault in our stars like it's a love story but it's also kind of shows you just like how precious life is and that nothing is ever guaranteed like Hazel was the one like we all expected Hazel was going to be the one to die I mean Augustus was in remission and then to flip that on us and have Augustus be the one to you know like relapse and go downhill and have Augustus be the one to die it just like it's really eye-opening that you know nothing in life is for sure there's no guarantees and so it's important to hold on to the things that you love and hold on tightly 
because like you never know when they're going to go away. That's true. Yeah, I think that that is definitely a big part of what makes it a classic YA. Also, like the way that that reversal is given through the eyes of Hazel, especially like Hazel's convinced it's going to be her and it's not and it's it's all the more heartbreaking seeing it like like that oh no are you gonna cry no it's okay okay (laughs) okay yeah I remember reading that scene for the first time um where she gets the call and it's just so heartbreaking like that earlier scene I I feel like it makes the earlier scene of him like smoking and like we can kind of see him breaking down but it's from her perspective so we don't know how bad he's getting because he's trying to hide it from her it just makes it like so much more clear and he laid the groundwork so well that when it like hits how sick he is that he's like dying again almost it's so much more impactful and yeah I think you just kind of captured it Sadie where it's like you have to hold on to the things that matter because you never know when things are going to change or end and I know I keep saying it but they're just the way Fault in Our Stars treats its audience with respect it doesn't the, and the way John Green writes in general, he allows his audience space to breathe with these characters. And he doesn't just very plainly explain like emotions or hard situations to them because he knows that real teenagers experience things like this is what made an impact on me as a reader because I had never felt like I was being taken along with a main character in a difficult situation like it was a reality that I could face like I up to that point don't really remember being treated with respect as an uh, adolescent reader before and he just does it so well John Green and all his writing both of you have mentioned this And I want to make like a little parallel. So I don't know if like you guys will agree with me, but both of you said, I read The Fault in Our Stars. Then I read everything else he's ever written. So in this sense, would you parallel John Green to like a modern day Shakespeare? Because like Shakespeare and all of his works are held in such high regard that I feel like there's like a very real parallel here. You know, I think that that's interesting because that's exactly what I thought when I was reading him. When I was reading <laughs> Fault in Our Stars for the first time and I was reading all of his other works, I was like, what is it going to be like in 200, 500 years? Because Shakespeare's works, for the most part, were written for audience entertainment. Like they, he has a lot of um, not PG jokes in his writing. And all of his writing has become so memorialized and such an academic thing that I think it's interesting to see what will happen with John Green's writing because it has made such a cultural impact. Like when they're studying current day modern literature a couple hundred years from now, there are gonna, I imagine there are gonna be like academics like dissecting the 
I don't know, like the presence of adolescence or like the fleeting of time or something in the Baldwin stars. Dissecting the metaphor of the cigarette. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like it's we incredible. do with the like we do with the green light in yeah. um oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name. Um, Great Gatsby. Yes. <laughs> we're I feel like we're gonna do with John Green what we've done with like Great Gatsby or Shakespeare. It's just gonna become such like a immortalized thing almost I definitely think that he's going to be sticking around for a long time I I I definitely agree I think he has the potential to be like Shakespeare level we'll be talking about him for hundreds of years I mean looking for Alaska his first book came out 16 years ago The Fault in Our Stars came out what 2013 2014 and we're still talking about it today and there's still new people discovering his works every day. Well, and, and he's still publishing. Yeah, he's uh, he just came out with an essay collection back in. Back oh, over the, the Anthropocene reviewed. Yeah, it's a written collection for a podcast, which I think is an interesting involvement evolution. Sorry, of <laughs> his writing style. Um, that it incorporates um, media with the podcast and written the collection. They're supposed to be read and listened to together. So, I mean, he's gonna keep writing. I hope he does. I've read different essays from the Anthropocene Reviewed. It's really good. And it's interesting to see him branch into creative nonfiction. He's just as good. For sure. I think John Green has earned his place as kind of a classic author in The Fault in Our Stars has definitely earned its place as a classic YA novel. For sure. And even just him as an author or as like a public figure, he's always going to be around with um, like SciShow and all of that that people use to study separate from his literature. So it's, it, it'll be interesting to see the way he sticks around in pop culture for the next however long we're alive (laughs) (laughs) all righty well thank you Kayla for joining us to talk about the fault in our stars yes this was fun it was my my favorite YA classic (laughs) (laughs) okay everybody now we have our third guest we have another Francis. Francis, if you want to say a couple words to uh, talk about yourself. Yeah, of course. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I am on the social media team at Pine Ridge Review, and I help run the TikTok page, which has been a very fun and new experience for me. If you haven't checked out our TikTok yet, go check it out because it's awesome. And Francis and Emma put out some great videos on there. Thank you, guys. So Francis, we're here to talk about why you think Twilight is a modern classic. Yeah, so I think I first read Twilight in maybe middle school, but then I've reread it since. I have no shame. I love Twilight. Um, And I think a lot of people are similarly, you know, they read it before when they were younger and then went back to it when they got older because it's just such an iconic book for our generation. I don't know why everyone is so drawn to it. I honestly couldn't tell you. 
I think a lot of the characters are really frustrating and not relatable at all. But for some reason, our kind of age group just keeps coming back to this series. I mean, Midnight Sun just came out and everyone was so excited for that. And it had been so long since the original Twilight series came out. So I think there's just something about it that makes people keep coming back to it. Um, and I think that's why it's just become a classic. I started reading the, the Twilight series, I think I was in upper elementary school. Uh, before I read the books, I was like super into the movies. And I know for me, that's like a huge, huge part of why I personally love Twilight. Um, I have a lot of memories of my mom and I, like we would go to like premiere days or like the weekend after the premiere to go watch Twilight. And so the movies have like very just happy, nostalgic memories attached to them for me, even though I agree the characters are incredibly frustrating book and in the movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's kind of funny because I hadn't seen the movies. I read the books first. I hadn't watched them at all. I think like I only read the books because like you, my mom was like into it, which is funny. I've talked to so many people and they say like they bonded with their moms over Twilight, which is not like something I would expect my mom to like. But honestly, I guess she was under the spell of Twilight too, because we bonded over that. And then once I got a little older, I finally watched the movies and that just like made the obsession even more intense. I think almost because you know, you have these weird, kind of annoying, not relatable characters, and then they're put on into the movie, and they're exactly the same. They're totally unrelatable and odd, and it's just so fun to watch and read and kind of, like, obsess over that I think we just keep going back. It's like a comfort, comfort book and a comfort movie for so many people. Yeah, you're right. It, I feel like I've seen a lot of videos lately where everyone says like, it's my comfort movie. I watched the whole series. I binge it over and over and over again. And it's just kind of come back like in the last two years since COVID. And I feel like everyone's just flocking to it, like reading the books, watching the movies. And then Midnight Sun came out. And then I think she just announced that she's writing a, mo uh, a book about Jacob and Renezme. So oh, gosh. interesting. That will be very interesting. I'm kind of surprised she chose that. I feel like I would be more inclined to write maybe about like the Cullen family before Bella came along or something because the Jacob Renesmee plot line is very controversial. <laughs> yes. um, I didn't think it was that weird the first time I read Twilight and now I read it back and I was like, what? Like, <laughs> this is so random. So, I mean, I can't wait to watch that. I'm excited, but I'm sure I'll have some very strong opinions about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm very conflicted also. I'm not sure if I'll touch it. I think I'll just let like my imagination run wild without facts <laughs> to prove it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the idea of a Twilight spinoff series that's all about the Cullens before Bella. I would be so down to read something like that. I think, and I think having the characters be vampires and be immortal, like just adds to kind of like the classicness of the series because there's so many opportunities for like spinoffs. Yeah, 
I know. I'm actually surprised that there haven't been more kind of spinoffs with Twilight um, because I think about like Vampire Diaries and there have been so many spinoffs and like successful spinoffs. I'm like, I feel like Twilight could get more momentum for this, but also at the same time, I think the best things are sometimes left untouched. So maybe it's a blessing that they haven't been, you know, adding on to the whole Twilight universe too much. That's a good point. I think also making a like a prequel about the Cullens would add to the lore of like just the Twilight world and vampires in general. And we talked about the myths um, in like mythology for Percy Jackson. And that's like kind of why we thought it's a classic book series because it talks about like mythology so much. And I think that also holds true for uh, Twilight because there's just so much lore and myth about the shifters and the, uh, the vampires and you know the Volturi and everything it's just like so wild yeah I agree I think that's what brings a lot of people in and then what's so good about it and this is similar with Percy Jackson is that you have this whole supernatural aspect of things and you have the lore but then like the main plot line is actually like realistic I guess I mean I've never had to Um, men fight over me but I guess technically it could happen and I think that's why so many people love Twilight because yes it's totally like fantasy obviously but at the same time you know you have like that classic romance and it's a good combination of the two so I think that's kind of what makes it so popular and so exciting for people. I think Twilight should be classified as like an experience Something that you experience versus something like you just read or watch because like the lore is so rich. There's like so many different avenues to explore. Um, Just kind of like the contemporary fantasy element. There's, there's just so much to it that just makes it so good. Yeah. And especially, I just think kind of like we were talking about before, like there's so many opportunities to branch out. And like so many side characters I'd like to know more about. And I think that's what keeps kind of the fan base so strong because like you see him breaking down all the other vampires come in to like help fight the Volturi and each one has like its own backstory. And so I think that people like books that, you know, have a very clear ending and it's very obvious what happens, but like there's room for creativity with the side characters. Um, And there's a lot of really solid side characters in Twilight most of them I find more interesting than main characters yeah I think the whole uh backstory of like Jasper and Alice like that I feel like that captivates me so much more than Bella's like backstory because it's so mundane well I mean she's a human to start off with but just like I don't know because Alice is so involved and she's like there every step of the way She's a really important character. Yeah, I think like the best characters in Twilight are like the like the more background characters. Um, I think that's why people like it. If it was too Bella Edward focused, no one would like it because those are some frustrating characters. But having such strong back characters with their own lore is really interesting and keeps people kind of always talking about the plot and always discussing it because there's so many offshoots and kind of backstories and such. Yes, I agree. Everyone's always talking about Twilight and (laughs) the different avenues and Emmett in the movie with his bag of hard-boiled eggs. (laughs) 
there's so many random things in the movies yeah (laughs) I think Emmett would have to be one of my favorite side characters he's just he's so I don't even know how to describe him he's so underrated he is like with the siblings like obviously everyone loves Alice and then Jasper has a cool backstory in some of the later books and then same with Rosalie but Emmett and he doesn't have a gift like he's totally underrated but I I see the potential in him I'd like an Emmett spinoff you do see more of him in Midnight Sun for sure okay on my way to Barnes and Noble right this instant to get it (laughs) yes no it was honestly it was kind of weird um I can't spoil anything but it was kind of weird but like like I said I just want to like be more into the universe of Twilight I think I would read anything um unfortunately I don't even think my standards are that high at this point I will read a Jacob Renesme spinoff at this point because I just want to know more about like the Twilight universe and uh, yeah during quarantine I think the obsession from like middle school just got so much bigger I think the fact that all these years later, since the books have been published, the movies have been out, just the fact that we are also still eager to consume whatever Twilight content we can get our hands on, whether it be Midnight Sun, um, the seemingly a little bit cursed sounding Jacob Renesme <laughs> spinoff, like we want it all. And you know, how many, how many books have that kind of longevity where you're just like at the drop of a hat, you're ready to read whatever is in like the universe. That's why it's a classic. Like it doesn't get old, like it's still going now. And I know a big aspect of its kind of mini comeback recently has been that they put the movies on Netflix and it was during COVID when they did that, like quarantine. And so everyone was already just wanting to like get more like just watch more interesting things and then these movies are suddenly available to everyone and they're like might as well just read the book I have time and now it's like I think our generation's like freshly obsessed with Twilight and I think it will happen again I think there will be another comeback it's a classic it's always gonna come back I just can't wait for when they start having us like kids read Twilight in school can you imagine being a middle schooler when the Jacob and Renesme book comes out, like the craze. They're all going to read the series. If they haven't already, they're all going to read it. And all of our kids are going to be obsessed with Twilight. And just like I like read Twilight with my mom, that's going to be me with my children someday. I'll be like, <laughs> have you heard of this classic novel, Twilight? <laughs> I can't wait. Forget the Greek Gatsby. It's Twilight in this house. Yeah. Oh my God, right? <laughs> yeah. The bookshelf will be filled with all the classics. Percy Jackson, Twilight, you know, <laughs> literature. <laughs> I know. Throw away the Great Gatsby. I'm talking about quality literature. Give me some Twilight. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. Um, I think that also Twilight is just so like iconic, especially the movies, but the books as well especially if you watch the movies too it's so iconic for that time period like that early 2000s time period that I think it will always be a big representative of that and so that will keep it around as well because you know when people think early 2000s they think of you know Bella in her like low-rise jean long sleeve shirt combo 
um, you know, they think of like the weird filter that's over the entire movie, you know, like those are like iconic early 2000s things. And so the book and the movie combined just like epitomized early 2000s. So it has to stay around. It's like basically like a history book at this point. They'll be studying Twilight like we study now, like silent films. Yes, seriously. <laughs> I'd believe it. That's such a perfect way to put it. Like Twilight is the new history books. Um, I just think I, I want to recognize for a second kind of the impact Twilight has had on, you know, not just the, um, the world of YA literature, not just like um, the movie industry, but just kind of like pop culture in general, like the soundtracks to the Twilight films, all of them iconic. And they're all all over TikTok. Yeah, like that says a lot, <laughs> like still all over TikTok and TikTok is a very 2019 through 2021 thing. So I think that says a lot. Um, and I think it's funny that Twilight has such a big kind of impact on so many people in our generation, because, you know, you have a lot of books that like really meant something to people. Maybe they resonated with a character or a character was going through the same struggles as them. And Twilight is just not that. Like, I do not read Twilight because I understand Bella's struggles. Like, I don't relate to her at all. But for some reason, it still resonates with me. And that is, like, something I would love to study. Because I get, you know, when someone reads a book and the main character is going through some issue that they can relate to. And it's, like, really meaningful. And it inspires them and motivates them. But, like, I mean, I have not been going through the whole vampire werewolf issue recently. I don't know if you guys have, but like, (laughs) I cannot relate to it. And still, I like feel the books when I read them. I think it just has to do with good writing, honestly, and good, good plot. I feel like Twilight was a trendsetter for the whole vampire werewolf craze. I mean, I can't speak to before because I think I was like maybe 10, I don't know, when the movies came out. But after that, I, I know like all the girls in my school were like, oh my God, are you a vampire girl or are you a werewolf girl? Like team Edward or team Jacob? And I'm like, oh my God, like <laughs> it all just bloomed after that. Yeah, I think honestly, having a love triangle is probably the smartest thing you can do in a YA book because everyone loves a love tri- triangle. You can always discuss it. There's always someone to fight with about it. Um, and the... Bella Edward Jacob love triangle is just so iconic like when I think love triangle that is what first pops into my head like that is the immediate thought is Twilight and so um that's just like another classic thing about it like the love triangle is such a big part of it and like it's like so representative of the word love triangle in my head and I think if you asked a lot of people in our generation when you ask them what do you think when you think love triangle they would say like Twilight I think also like a really important part of that is like Jacob wasn't just always like a side character like he had his opportunity when Edward left like he totally had the opportunity to be with Bella and that is like a key component to a love triangle. Yes and he gets friend zoned so hard which is the inevitable conclusion of a love triangle is someone's gonna get friend zoned and the Twilight series is basically just like an extended friend zoning of Jacob the entire time like he just does not get the hint I was kind of hoping he'd just find a girl his age but like a shifter (laughs) yeah 
Also, I think that you might see like a lot of baby names from Twilight because Twilight has a ton of names. All the vampires that come have really unique names too. Like it's not just basic. And I, Jasper is such a popular baby name right now with like our generation. Um, So is um, Edward. Like, I think that you'll see like this book has to be like, I will fight that this is book is a classic because if people are naming their children off of characters from a book that like puts it into the classics realm for me personally. I had a friend in middle school who her older sister was having a baby and she was dead set on the name Renesmee. Like she was going to name no. her baby Renesmee. But her family, no. luckily her family was able to talk her out of it and they compromised on uh, Rose after Rosalie. Okay. Okay, that's acceptable. I'm like, there's a few <laughs> names in Twilight I wouldn't go with, like, um, what's his name? Ka- like, oh, Arrow and Caius and Marcus, the villains. I don't know if I'd name my baby after them, but I don't know. Maybe I'll have a little baby Emmett someday because I love him. Oh Emmett. my god, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with us, Francis, about Twilight. It was a very good discussion. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of new points to think about, I would say. Yes, definitely. And yeah, I think this discussion just really hits at home that Twilight's, I feel like Twilight is the OG of the new YA classics. I, can, I can't, completely agree. You and can't talk I about. I don't think you can fight it. Right. Like you can't, you can't fight it. You can't talk about the modern YA classics without talking about Twilight. I mean, exactly. Twilight is the epitome of YA fantasy. Like it, it is like, that's what I think about every time I think about YA. Yeah, I think it's really representative of the entire genre. And I just want to see how it continues to impact our generation because I do not think that the Twilight regime is over. Like we're still going. Yes, still going strong. <laughs> Yes. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, check us out on our website or other social media accounts. Until next time, happy reading.